um, we're in Acts chapter 2, just uh, going through the book already in chapter 2. Can you believe it? It's like, man, time flies when you're having fun, huh? We had a good day in Prineville today. We kind of working with kind of this lockdown thing, and we did... Uh, two services, we went to two services, and we made three different rooms in the church, um, kind of different sanctuaries of 25 people each, and kind of live streamed the service through there, so it was unique and interesting, and it was, it was what it was, that was, had its own level of special to it, and, uh, at the moment, I'm thinking it's probably only going to be two weeks that we have to do that, so that's awesome. But was it full? Like, did it... it was packed. I mean, it was like, whoa! Um, second service was, um, we had 21 in the, a lot of people were backing out, lots of families got sick all of a sudden, and um, the chapel really had people backing out, so they only had three people in there, uh, four people, there was a little boy in there too, and... Um, and that 21 and four, so. Oh, because you had sign up pre. Yeah, pre-sign. yeah, and it was there was grace if someone came and hadn't signed up or. Um, so we just moved that chapel in with the sanctuary, and yeah, it went well. Lots of weird silence when I'd make jokes and people would laugh, wouldn't laugh. <laughs> I was like, "What's wrong with you people today?" <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, it was really, it was cool, and like, it was cool that, that the chapel was being used kind of as a, maybe the chapel's this big, maybe not quite this big, almost, but um, it's kind of cool, and uh, the basement was being used, like, it was just kind of a unique time, you know, so, um, if you guys are ever in town on a Sunday morning, you ought to come try it out. Um, okay, so we are in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 14 through 39, I'll put my glasses on because this late in the day, things are getting a little blurry. And uh, oh, I'm in John, so I'm teaching through in the mornings. And uh, so, quick little refresher. Uh, the book of Acts is the follow-up to Luke's gospel. Luke is writing it. Uh, this physician, he's kind of picking up where he left off, where Jesus has risen from the dead after being crucified. Uh, he spent 40 days on the earth after he resurrected from the dead, was showing himself alive by many infallible proofs, which means he was just straight up showing people that he was alive. There was nothing people could do to argue it. He was, um, man, proving it. And uh, before he ascended into heaven, he said, um, I'm going to be sending the Holy Spirit, or also called the promise of the Father, um, to come upon you so that you could have boldness and go tell people about me all throughout the world. You'll have courage and bravery and dynamite power to uh, tell the world uh, about me and what I've done on the cross. And, uh, and so he said, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so he ascended up into heaven and everyone was watching him ascend. 
And, uh, and then two angels appeared and said, what are you doing standing here looking up into heaven? Get down there to Jerusalem and start waiting. And so they went and they waited for about 10 days. And uh, while they were there waiting, they were praying and they had unified prayer. They were together, about 120 people uh, praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. While they were waiting, uh, they nominated a replacement for Judas Iscariot, who'd betrayed Jesus and then hung himself. And uh, they rolled the, cast the lots, rolled the dice um, uh, after praying. And it landed on um, Matthias. So Matthias became the 12th disciple or apostle uh, to take his place. And then, uh, then we saw last week that uh, as they were waiting, the day of Pentecost had fully come. It was 50 days after um, Passover, and uh, there was visible signs of the Holy Spirit coming. There were audible signs of the Holy Spirit coming as tongues of fire showed up above people's heads. There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. People began to speak in other languages, and uh, there was a lot of confusion in the town or curiosity in the town as somehow kind of the sound that had happened in the room had made its way out into the city. And so uh, people started hearing these redneck, you know, redneck Galileans talking in something like 19 different languages were represented that were spoken out on the day of Pentecost. And, uh, and all these people from these 19 different countries were saying, how do, how do you, a redneck from Galilee, know how to talk, you know, Egyptian, you know, or... Um, Mexican or something. You know, it was like uh, there was basically 19 different languages from the then known Greco-Roman world, and um, and they were all represented there. And so some were intrigued by this; others were um, mocking. It was an opportunity for mocking, and they even said, "You know, hey, someone's been hitting the bottle uh, a little early this morning." And so that kind of picks up where we left off last week, where there, like, there were these incredible physical signs of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's some interest in it, there's some confusion in it, and there's some mocking in it, okay? And so Peter is going to stand up and kind of answer the mocking, okay? Um, and so Peter's going to do some incredible preaching. As you look at verse 14... But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. And so, man, Peter, this is amazing that he is standing up. He's full of courage right now. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Peter was um, running away from Jesus and from the trials that Jesus was going to go through. Peter was denying that he ever knew Jesus three different times. He denied that he ever knew Jesus. Uh, Peter's going to go from being who I, well, I always used to call him. Well, I still call him this, but <laughs> for his past life, uh, old foot in the mouth, Peter, you know, he's always saying stuff and kind of getting in trouble a little bit and doesn't have the best tact or hasn't really thought things through before he said it. And he's going to go to being one of the leaders of the church um, already in the gospel or in the book of Acts. He stood up and took leadership and uh, got the ball rolling on taking Judas Iscariot's replacement there. And now he stands up in courage. You know, remember, again, has denied Jesus in recent days three times. 
even cursing. I don't know him. And, uh, and now he's standing up in front of the men of Judea, even people that had a hand in crucifying Jesus. Even they were there shouting out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter, after having seen the resurrected Jesus and after having been baptized with the Holy Spirit, now has courage to uh, speak to the Jews here in Jerusalem. And he's going to do what's called an exposition, which means he's going to draw out from the scriptures, the Old Testament, things about Jesus. And he's going to use those Old Testament um, passages to preach the gospel to his Judean brothers. Um, And so he goes on to kind of defend the accusation that him and the other 119 are drunk. And he says, verse 15, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Um, one of the points that he's making is that it's, it's early. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Um, the point that he's making is that Jews normally didn't even eat before nine in the morning, especially during this uh, time of festival. Um, still less drink wine so early in the morning. And so he's like, you guys, it's only 9 a.m. Come on, like, let's be reasonable here and talk through what you might be seeing right now. And then he's going to just with great, with the finesse of a Bible college graduate, I mean, it's just incredible. He's going to go and start expounding upon the scriptures. And so he starts out using uh, the book of Joel, Joel chapter two. And so he's going to quote Joel in verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So it's just amazing that you know, the Holy Spirit helps bring to remembrance the things that Peter has learned since he was a child uh, being raised in Judaism. Um, and you know, the Holy Spirit does the same thing for us when we step out and we're obedient to tell people. I'm telling you, there's so many times that I've had to kind of go out of my comfort zone to tell people about Jesus. And I'm like, what am I ever going to say? And when I just trust the Lord and open up my mouth, He brings the words to say. It's like an incredible thing. He's so faithful to do that. And he does it to Peter here. I mean, do you think Peter in his devotions that morning is like, you know, had his pen in his mouth kind of, and he's like, ah, yes, Joel chapter two, and just starts expounding Joel chapter two. He'd been in Joel. Apparently he knows Joel, probably memorized portions of Joel growing up. And he he quotes it here. Um, The Holy Spirit brought to remembrance Joel to him. It's interesting that... uh, he even uses Joel and he kind of um, changes the first phrase of it to be applicable to their situation there in Jerusalem that day. Uh, he uses the phrase, um, it shall come to pass in the last days. Um, <clears throat> when the Joel actually says, it shall come to pass afterward, he changes it to in these last days it shall be, essentially. And so what he's saying is he's he's kind of preaching from Joel and he's saying, guys, we're living in this now. Joel said it, that it will happen someday. And now I'm telling you, it's happening 
now. He uses this phrase in the last days in order to emphasize that when the spirit comes, the last days have come. There was like this inauguration of the end times and the Lord's day when the Holy Spirit came. Now you got to understand, and it, it seems a bit long, especially to us in 2020, you know, but the day of the Lord began at uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That began what's called the day of the Lord. Uh, that um, When the Holy Spirit came, it, it ushered forth this period that's all leading towards the end times. And then kind of as you look at the scripture, you get into kind of these more concentrated forms of like um, kind of birth pangs. And see you see things start to really pressurize into turbulent times of persecution, turbulent times of um, natural disasters. And then, man, you really get into it when you get into like the tribulation and just the period of God pouring out his wrath. Um, but that all is actually part of the day of the Lord or the last days, okay? Um, this was a final proof of the out days when the Holy Spirit came. It was one of the promises of the end times. Um, and so he talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out. That word pour out, you might kind of underline it because it's helpful in considering what is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? What is the promise of the Father? Um, it's what we would call an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so we often pray for outpourings of the Holy Spirit. We pray for outpourings of the Spirit upon the Palina Church, upon the Prineville Church. We pray for an outpouring of the Spirit upon the Palina Valley, you know, and, and Crook County. Um, and it speaks of just the pouring out or the causing of the flow to happen, um, or even to for people to fully experience is what the Greek speaks of, that people would fully experience the Holy Spirit. Not just have a religious experience, um, and that can be fabricated, you know, but to have something where the Holy Spirit touches their heart, brings us a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of nature, transforms them from the inside out, and makes them want to be used by the Lord. It's happened to me. It's happened to so many of us here. And uh, and we pray for that um, because it's, it's something that's very real. Uh, the language speaks of um, something like a heavy tropical rainstorm with just the rain pouring out upon uh, an area. And it shows the generosity of the gift of God's spirit. More than a sprinkling, like a total outpouring. Don't you love a really good shower head, you know, that's just like, I mean, there's nothing better, right? Don't you hate like a clogged, you know, hard water, the holes are all clogged up and you're like, you know, it's like, man, give me an outpouring, you know, I'm too tall to have one of those like shower heads that it's like really difficult to get one of those that fits me. But man, I would love to just be able to stand up straight in the shower, you know, and just have it go, I built our shower in our bathroom downstairs and I was like, this is going to be awesome. I tiled it and everything. And I put the shower head like way up here and I'm like, this is going to be amazing. Problem was I never shower down there <laughs> and only short people do. So when they're in it, it's like, <laughs> and so, um, lesson learned, right? Uh, but you know, this outpouring of the spirit is just saturates and drenches us with the 
third person of the Godhead so that we have bravery and courage and life uh, to, to live for the Lord. It, um, we're going to see as we go through Acts that at the same time, there's also gifts that are given so that we can um, use the abilities that God gives us. And it builds up the church. It edifies people so that they're built up so that they want to bless each other here in the church and then go out from here and go bless the community with the story of the gospel. So, not a drizzle, not a shower, but a total downpour of the Holy Spirit is what Joel prophesied of. And Peter knew it. He went there, took him to Joel chapter 2. In verse 18, And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. So, there's spiritual conditions for receiving the Spirit, and that is you believe in the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes in you and upon you. But something neat about the age of the Spirit is that he, he is poured out abundantly, and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a servant or a master. Like The Holy Spirit pours himself out graciously on men and women alike, and rich and poor alike, even upon servants, men servants, and maid servants. There's again that phrase, the pouring out of the Spirit. Now, I want to encourage you guys because I know, because I've been there, where sometimes there's the abuse of what people maybe even call the Holy Spirit when it's not even the Holy Spirit. Um, they attribute things that are not biblical to the Holy Spirit. And that can be a scary thing. I mean, I've been in situations that are weird and odd. They're ecstatic and dramatic, but they're not biblical. And Jesus isn't even exalted. And uh, and that causes people to just want to shut off, you know, anything that has to do with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm just telling you, just keep an open heart to the Lord when it has to do with the Holy Spirit. Just say, Lord, However you have designed the work of the Spirit in my life, I want that for me. I want to be biblical, and trust me, he's going to keep you biblical if you're crying out to be biblical regarding the Holy Spirit. But Peter uses end times doctrine to talk about the Holy Spirit. And if it was end times then, we're even more in the end times now, and it certainly fits the bill that the Spirit wants to do a work in those last days. And one of the gifts that is given during the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. It's not the only gift. I mean, we've already seen tongues so far in this chapter, but another gift is that of prophecy or speaking forth the heart of God. My understanding of prophecy is the speaking forth of the heart of God, but in the New Testament, you don't see it on the same level as in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a prophet would speak, and it was like, man, you do what that prophet says. In the New Testament, once the apostles have established the scripture, prophecies almost have like an open-handed take to it. For instance, um, you know, when Paul's towards the end of his ministry in the book of Acts, you know, people are like prophesying that when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be handed over, and you're going to be like um, imprisoned, and don't go to Jerusalem. And, you know, they take the belt off Agabus, you know, they... They put it around Paul's wrist and they tie it tight. And they're like, whoever has the belt on his hands will be bound in Jerusalem. I don't know why they couldn't have just said, you're going to be bound in Jerusalem. No, I better, you know, put some clothes on. <laughs> off of myself. 
And you would think Old Testament style, man, a prophet's telling you like, this is going to await you. Don't go. People are begging you not to go. You don't go. I mean, the prophet's telling you something. Um, there's a difference in the New Testament regarding prophecy. Prophecy is more when you, we will study it as we go along. Uh, like in first Corinthians, it says that prophecy is exhortation and it's encouragement and it's comfort toward men. That's what first Corinthians 14 says that prophecy is. So three things, exhortation, which speaks of spurring someone on. You guys ought to like that. You horsemen and women out there, right? You know, your horse is balking up, doesn't really want to go, needs a little bit of prompting, you know, needs a little raking, you know, and, and boom, there they go. They go. They just needed a little prompting, right? I don't know if I'm saying that. You guys are like, that seems a little rough. <laughs> you know, and sometimes people need that. It's kind of like, all right, guys, let's go. Come on. Signs of life this Saturday. Let's do it. We're going to go and we're going to shine for Jesus. All right. Thanks. I was going to sleep all afternoon, but <clears throat> now I'm ready to go. You know, just need a little bit of spurring, need a little bit of encouragement, course encouragement speaks of bringing the courage right um i love titus right my son when we named him uh we believe the lord i mean not to be weird but we were like really praying like where should we name this kid you know and uh the name titus kind of came up and uh titus um in the scripture there's a couple different tituses but uh the, the most mentioned encourage, um, encouraging man in the ministry that Paul relied on, that Titus was an encourager. Um, and so, and then his name is Titus Hart. And Hart, H-A-R-T, besides meaning white stag, you know, uh, means encourager. Like encourager of heart. It speaks of courage. And it's just funny because we named him that. And uh, we were going through a hard time when we had him and he ended up being such an encouragement to us but even now as he's growing up he's just a lover you know it's just fun dick Bedortha was here last week and he's heading on out you know and titus is like wait and he runs up and he just you know <laughs> he's just and, and dick was just like trying to pick it like he was like i love you kid you know i'm like whoa 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 like you're gonna follow you know and uh it was just so sweet you know and that's titus he runs after people at church like don't leave yet just gotta Mm, you know, and uh, and that's part of prophecy. Is it speaking? It's kind of that speaking forth the heart of God and encouragement, and it's the heart of God towards men. It, it can be even quoting scripture, speaking forth the heart of God. It can be preaching. It's all part of prophecy, and part of the um, end days, last time pouring out of the Holy Spirit is that men and women alike, it's just going to be like this gift that's all across the church. They're going to be speaking for things from the Lord towards people. So I want to encourage you, as you're, like the Lord puts somebody on your heart that you're supposed to give them a call, send them a text. He's like giving you a verse for them. Um, you just, they, they've just been heavy on your heart and you just know like I'm supposed to speak some exhortation to them. And exhortation is maybe a little less pleasant. It's more the spur, you know. I'm supposed to speak some encouragement and just give them a little of this, you know, um, from the Lord. Like, be obedient to that. It's all part of the end times outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, 1 Corinthians 14 also says that it's part of uh, words of comfort are um, what prophecy is. It's comfort, exhortation, encouragement, and comfort towards men um 
And those are good tests as you look at 1 Corinthians 14 if something's really prophetic or not, or if it's just kind of something from someone's flesh, something that maybe needs to be discerned. And, you know, we'll get there a little bit later in the book of Acts, but, you know, there's times where you got to test the prophets. You got to test the prophecies and be like, no, I don't think that's from the Lord. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's exhortation, encouragement, comfort to men. Kind of seems like you're speaking for something that's just kind of puffing you up and, you know, uh, and as you start looking at false prophets in history, in church history, even modern day false prophets, usually has nothing to do with the scriptures, comfort, encouragement, exhortation. It's all about like, I'm the Messiah. You know, it's like, I say nay, nay, right? Um, Luther understood prophecy here as the knowledge of God through Christ, which the Holy Spirit kindles and makes to burn through the word of the gospel. So part of prophecy, speaking forth the heart of God, preaching out the gospel to people, while Calvin wrote that it signifies simply the rare and excellent gift of understanding. Um, And so Peter preaching from Joel kind of goes on to show some of the more natural type disasters that will happen in that end time, that, that end time that's inaugurated through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So, a little bit of it, speaking, you know, seems uh, similar to the day Jesus died on the cross, and a day that was daytime, it's noon, and all of a sudden, it's nighttime, in the middle of the day. There's this hilarious, you guys gotta look it up, BBC's Talking Animals, okay? And there's this black, like, crane bird, and it's covering up its face like this, and it's all nighttime, daytime, nighttime, daytime. You want to play nighttime, daytime with me? <laughs> That's what the day that Jesus died on the cross was like. It's like daytime, nighttime, right? And uh, and that's what the day of the Lord is going to be like. And so there's this a little bit of like already happened on the day of the the cross, but I mean, we just studied the book of Revelation. This kind of stuff is going to be like thick and concentrated. Um, during like the tribulation period. Um, And so Peter is looking forward to the signs which will herald the end of the world. Okay, still in the future. Verse 21, this is probably like the best part of this Joel prophecy. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, best part of it all is like, okay, prophecy, crazy dark times, daytime, dark, daytime, nighttime, you know. At the end of it all, like at the sum of it all, the desire is that people would call on the name of Jesus, realize that they're sinners, have sorrow for their sin, realize like, man, the things I've done outside that people know about, the things I've done inside that only I know about and the Lord know about, I am in trouble. What am I supposed to do with all this? You can call on the name of the Lord 
and it's taken from you. And you're washed as white as snow and you're clean. You've been washed from a guilty conscience and your mind has been sprinkled with pure water, the book of Hebrews tells us. And now you're like free to be used by the Lord and to know the Lord. And, uh, and so Paul will quote this passage in Romans chapter 10 uh, as he's talking about how people get saved. They call on the name of the Lord and they're saved from their sins and saved from the consequences of their sins. And then he, of course, goes into, well, how are they going to call on the name of the Lord if they don't believe in the Lord? And how are they going to believe in the Lord if they've never heard of the Lord? And how are they going to hear of the Lord if no one ever tells them? How are they going to tell them if no one's sent? And so he kind of does this chain, you know, this golden chain of people's gots to go out and start talking about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? All right. So the best way to understand Pentecost is not through the Old Testament prediction, but through the New Testament fulfillment. It's not through Joel anymore, but it's through Jesus. And so Peter is explaining, he's doing a great job of exposition using Old Testament Joel to get to Jesus and explain what's going on on this crazy day of Pentecost. Now, Peter's going to have a little bit more original thought here as he starts preaching. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So he's talking to people that know who Jesus is. I mean, uh, they haven't been living under a rock. They know exactly what had been happening. Those three years of Jesus' ministry, they know the uproar that was happening in Jerusalem some 50 days before when they were all shouting out, crucify. He's talking about the guy that they delivered over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified. And he says at the end of verse 22, you yourselves know, right? Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. So what we have in this verse is some interesting theology, okay? Two points of theology. Number one, we have God's sovereignty. That means that God is in control. God is in complete and total control. God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end and he's planned it and he knows how it's going to go down. And since the beginning of time, since before the foundations of the earth, from before the Bible and in the Old Testament, there was always a plan that um, Jesus would be delivered to be crucified. It was no surprise to God. So you have this one aspect of God's divine purpose. Look at the language there. There was determined purpose and foreknowledge. Foreknowledge, okay? Beforehand knowledge. God knew about it, okay? No surprise. On the other hand, you also have men that are making real and conscious decisions, conscious decisions, their bosom is burning with a jealousy and a hatred for Jesus, they are seeking ways to kill Jesus. 
And so on one hand, there's God's sovereignty. On the other hand, and even under that umbrella, is that there are men with free will making this conscious choice to uh, the languages, take Jesus by lawless hands, have him crucified, and put him to death. It's a bit of a paradox. It's a huge paradox. It's a huge mystery. Don't let yourself get so wrapped up in the mystery that you lose the main points of what God's called us to do. The wrestle of understanding God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, it drives some people to just completely get sucked into it to where they're useless like for the Lord. And all they want to do is argue with people. Whereas the battle that's been raging for hundreds of years of how to reckon these things, it's like what Charles Spurgeon says, how do I reconcile the truth of God's sovereign purposes and man's free will? I don't have to. He says, I don't have to reconcile friends because they're both true. They're both what are called bedfellows, friends. They complement each other. They are tensions that help hold up a truth. Someone once said that, you know, uh, the tension wires that hold up the Golden Gate Bridge, it's really good that they're there. They hold up the bridge and these mysteries and these paradoxes and these tensions that you find in the Bible, they're good. They hold the bridge up. And I always loved what C.S. Lewis said about this topic as he says, man, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, they they're like two pillars of biblical truth that go way up into the heavens and they meet somewhere before the throne of God. Somewhere, it just seems like they're irreconcilable, but they're friends and before the throne of God. It makes sense to God, okay? It's deep stuff and uh, and you can study it and that's great, um, but I would just say they're both true and you go through the Bible and sometimes you find yourself emphasizing God's sovereignty. And then you just keep teaching through the Bible and sometimes you find yourself emphasizing just these real choices that these men and women have made. And uh, it's interesting study, that's for sure. But here in this verse, we have um, both. You've got the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And then you've got, but you guys did it. <laughs> you know, And you can't say, the devil made me do it. And you can't say, God made me do it. You get, these guys are responsible for their own actions. But the good news is that he didn't stay dead. Look at verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So, yeah, Jesus was murdered, and he died on the cross. He was handed over by lawless, wicked men's hands. Jews and Romans alike. I was in uh, Israel... I think it was 2012, and we were in the Antonia Fortress where Jesus was scourged. And our tour guide uh, had just got done talking about the Romans getting ready to crucify Jesus. And uh, Pastor Rob said, hey, question for you. Who killed Jesus? You know, and like the Romans, you know, the Jews, you know. And then someone in our group goes, I did. It was my sin that held him there. And, and that is true of all of us. Our sin nailed him to the cross. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised up. And I like the language here. And Peter's a good preacher, don't you think? 
And this is again, this is a Galilean. This is a this is a Lakeview boy right here. You know, this is a this is sweet home talking to us, right? And uh, and he's just like nailing it. I mean, he's like he's preaching the resurrection. God raised him up. And there's this incredible phrase: having loosed the pains of death or the agony of death. Maybe your Bible says agony, which means literally the birth pains of death. And the resurrection of Jesus is pictured as a new birth or a regeneration from death into life. And so that when Jesus was in the tomb, it was like there was a labor going on that when he rose from the dead, it was like not only a resurrection, but a regeneration, new life. Um, I'm going to read something that I highlighted today and uh, read it a couple times trying to totally get it. Now I'm going to read it to you and see if we can get it together, okay? It's not a mad gab like last week. It's This is cognitive thinking here. F. Field looked at this verb, loosing the pains of death, or to bring an end to death, saying, we have a remarkable mixed metaphor in which death as regarded as being in labor and unable to hold back its child, the Messiah. If we ask why death could not hold back Jesus, Peter's reply would be that Jesus was the Messiah and that the Messiah could not be held by death. And I like that. The end of what Peter says is, it wasn't possible that Jesus could be held by death. Like, he just can't, he's God and like, he just has to live. And so he did. Impossible for him to stay dead. And guess what? When you're born again, it's impossible for you to stay dead too. Pretty exciting. Jesus was the first fruits of all who would fall asleep. Moving right along. Verse 25. For David says concerning him. Okay, so Peter had used Joel. Uh, then Peter preached a bit. Talked about the resurrection. Pretty exciting stuff. Talked about, man. The pillars of truth, right? Now he's going to use David and he's going to read the Old Testament. He's going to talk about David. So David said about Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. For you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So just incredible. Peter, using Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, to preach Jesus, right? He's using poetry to preach Jesus. He's using David's writings and remember, this is this is an interesting passage, this psalm. In fact, Jesus used it in Mark when we went through Mark. And he said, let me ask you Jews something. And he, he kind of quotes this and he says, you know, Jesus uh, calls the Messiah Lord. Whose son is he? And he kind of uses this. I mean, if you got to look at it and you go, why would David be calling his son Lord and Master? And the author of Hebrews is going to use this also in chapter 1, I think. The reason he would call his son Master or Lord 
is if his great, and by the way, this is 14 times great grandson. So there was David and then David begot, who 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 begot. Could you imagine calling your 14 times grandson, my Lord, you know, master, you know, why would David do that? Jesus asked the Jews, unless he's the Messiah, unless he's the creator. And so Peter uses that same passage to make a point to the Jews. And the point is that David said, I will not perish in Sheol. I will not stay in Sheol or Hades. Sheol and Hades are the dwelling place of the dead. Okay? And David says, I'm not, I'm not going to stay in Sheol or Hades. And matter of fact, you're not going to allow your Holy One's flesh to see corruption, which means to decay through death in the earth. Okay? Now, ah, I found the picture for you guys today and rushing out to get here. I forgot to upload it into the pictures. But you can Google it. Probably can get it on your phone right now. Type in King David's tomb. Okay? Because Peter's going to say, that David wasn't talking about himself here. David was talking about the Messiah. Okay, look at uh, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, or of our father David. That he is both dead and buried in his tomb and is with us to this day. So he wrote that he won't stay in the dwelling place of the dead. And he wrote that his body wouldn't decay in death. But let's be honest, like you can walk right over here in the city of David in southern Jerusalem and you can walk through kind of a palace cavern and you can go into this place and there's the sepulcher. Would it be a sepulcher? You know, there's the, the stone burial spot of King David. So was he talking about himself? Like who's he talking about? He says, verse 30, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. So it's so cool. You guys got to understand, Peter is doing some serious Christ-centered preaching here that is just rocking the Bible college world right now. Like this is what we try to teach our elders this is what we read books on, that we want to do this kind of preaching, okay? Uh, he is Christ-centered preaching the scriptures, okay? This is what Dom Jacques DuPont has called the radically Christological character of early Christian exegesis, which means we're pulling out of the Bible the story of Jesus. And so often what happens when people study and read the Bible is they're taking their culture and their preferences and how they think the world should be and what we would like and we push it into the Bible. Okay, and then we're kind of like, hey guys, it's cool to, you know, do whatever that we shouldn't be doing. Or I think it, I think it should be this way instead of what does he say, okay? And something that we often press into it is, oh, David killed Goliath. Be a David, everybody, and just 
you know, suck it up and stick your chest out a little bit and just be brave, would you? You know, but there's no power in that. What do you do when you're not brave? Okay. Instead, we look at David and we go, man, just like David stood up against Goliath, Jesus stood up against the sins of the world and against the people that would try to kill him. Okay. Um, And so Jesus is the hero, essentially. And Peter is just doing a great job pointing that out. Moving right along. David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And that's so great. The eyewitness account of Jesus resurrecting from the dead. He's telling it to all the Jews who are gathered around. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see in here. Guys, we can talk about the ascension today, and that's exciting, but Peter's talking about it 10 days after he just saw it happen. Like, we just watched Jesus up there. Like, we just saw it with our own eyes. And then he did what he said he was going to do. Then after he ascended, he was going to send the Holy Spirit to comfort us and be with us and help us remember the things about Jesus that, uh, that we need to know. And so he's poured out the Holy Spirit. Moving right along, we're going to hurry up. We're just going through verse 39, so we're on 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens. David wasn't the one that was... I can keep going, but I'm not going to. One David, all right? David went down to the abode of the dead and his body started getting stinky, right? They had to like put some spices on it and seal it up real good and put caulking around it and be like, let's not open that for a while, okay? And so David said, the Lord, verse 34, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So because of Jesus's victorious, obedient life, death and resurrection, when he went back up into heaven, he was received with the homecoming that the father said, sit at my right hand, the place of power, a place of authority, um, and I like what, uh, it was John Stott said, God has now exalted Jesus to be in reality and power what he already was by right. He already was the right hand. He already was Lord and Christ, but it's confirmed now. Okay. And so God has made Jesus, you killed him, but God has exalted him. And I always like this phrase, Lord and Christ. In the Greek, it's Kyrios is Lord and Christos is Christ. He has made him both Christos and Kyrios, Lord and Christ. You know, have you ever heard people say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior? Okay, that's essentially what they're saying. Jesus is my Christ and Kyrios, okay? And it's important as Christians that Jesus is both of those things to us, okay? We like the part of him being our savior. Oh yeah, I want him to forgive me of my sins and I want to go to heaven. 
But I also want to do what I want here on this earth and just live and do things my way. Okay? That would be someone who Jesus would be their savior, but not their Lord. And that dog don't hunt. Okay? In the scriptures, Jesus must be both Lord and Christ. Lord and Savior. Because those who believe in him as their Savior also want to obey him as their Lord. Um, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I'm telling you, this is a preacher's dream right here. Right? You're preaching this and you expository Bible study. You're preaching about David and Joel and the resurrection. And and you're like, man, the crowd does not look like they're enjoying this today, you know? And then all of a sudden the people are like, you are right. We are in, we killed the Lord and the Christ. What do we do? Doesn't happen all that often. <laughs> Chrysostom was a third century preacher and they called him the golden tongue preacher. And every time he would preach, the church would just stand up and they'd be like, you know, and uh, one day he had to preach a sermon where he said, stop doing that. And guess what everybody did? Oh my gosh, that's the best sermon I've ever heard, you know, and, uh, and that's essentially what Peter went through here. It's a little rare in the Crook County area. I'm telling you, <laughs> just joking. Um, but uh, but the people, it's like, you are totally right. We crucified God. Whoopsies. <laughs> and Peter says to him, all right, guys, it's okay. He says, you need to repent, which means turn away from your sins and change your mind about who God is, who Jesus is, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do that, there's remission of sins or forgiveness of sins and removal of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, repent, turn away from your sins. It's necessary. That shows lordship of Jesus in your life. Being baptized shows humility. Someone that I read called it the humiliation of baptism. Why is baptism humiliation? Because let's be honest, it's a little bit weird to like cruise down to the water with your buddies. But like, hey, can you like hold me? And like dunk me under, you know, and maybe I'll be wearing my clothes, you know, or maybe I'll have my makeup on. And when I come up, my mascara will be like night of the living dead, you know, take some humility. It's a little bit of the like, you got to have faith like a child that Jesus is talking about that. I don't care what I look like. I want the world to know I love Jesus. And the old Rory is dead and buried with Jesus. There's a new Rory that's alive and is living for him. It's part of the humility of receiving him as Lord is showing the world that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So when you turn from your sin and you're baptized in the name of Jesus, there's it shows that you've been forgiven of your sins. Okay, um, We are not of those who believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven. Okay, We believe that you have to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you'll go to heaven. But... Why would you not step out in the obedience showing that you are saved and be baptized? Like Mark, I think Joe finished it out and he taught when Jesus says, anyone who um, believes and is baptized will be saved. 
And then he goes right on to say, Jesus says, and anyone who does not believe will be condemned. So Jesus is showing baptism is important. It's an external showing of what's happened in your heart. But it's not that which saves you, okay? Believing in Jesus is what saved you. That being said, you should still get baptized if you've never been baptized. There's like a bathtub. One day we're going to get to go to this bathtub over here. We'll get it arranged so that it's legal. And Marcus is going to come down beforehand. He's going to squirt the hornet's nest that is down in that pump so that we don't all die from bee stings. But we're going to pump that thing up real good. We're going to do some baptisms in that bath. One day it's going to happen. I'm really excited for it. Um... And then, okay, so repent, be baptized, and then check it out, the very end of verse 38. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So all of you Jews here who are just making fun of us like we've been drunk at 9 a.m., you can be forgiven of your sins if you come to Jesus, you have your sins washed away, and you will have this that you've just seen happen that gives you power to live for God. For the promise is to you, and your children, and your children, and their children, and their children. It's a ridiculous Russian doll situation, in a sense. Because, the very last phrase, and to all who are, I mean, check it out, day of Pentecost, all the way to Polina here in 2020. I mean, what, where'd the tiny little doll did this end? Like, okay, all right. But the promise is for us as well. Hey, you get what you pay for, guys. Okay. <laughs> the promise of the forgiveness of sins, the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are denominations and there are people that say, oh, that the, the outpouring stopped with the last of the apostles or the outpouring stopped when the Bible was canonized. And now we got this sweet leatherback book. So we don't really need the Holy Spirit anymore. Okay. And I'd say, praise God for this. All right? This is our authority. This is our seatbelt that keeps us tethered in. This is, helps us testify of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit helps us in that. And he is for us today, all the way here in Polina. To you and your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So that includes us. I believe the Lord has called us, right? And I think we're pretty far off. The Holy Spirit's for us today. And so... Dustin has a last song that is actually titled Fall Afresh. And it's about the outpouring that we've read about today. And uh, I just encourage you guys during this last song, ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as you ask, you might even just be like, Lord, just confess, like, this is all a little new to me, or this is a little, you know, there's been abuse of it. It can be freaky. And I'm just telling you, like, we're not about just being freaky here. I mean, we're not, not about being free, but <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we want to be very biblical. <laughs> we're not, okay. We want to be very biblical. We're not about just getting weird. We want to be true. And, um, and my personal conviction is, is that God is a God of order, and the way that he moves will be not a way that just brings a bunch of confusion. It's easily explainable from the scripture. And his most important um, desire when he pours the Holy Spirit out, out on us is not that we get ecstatic, dramatic goosebumps on our neck and lose control and start rolling on the ground. Like that doesn't do much except distract people. He really wants us to become brave and courageous and go and tell the world that there's a savior 
who can forgive. And so um, just ask for that uh, tonight as we close with this song, Fall Afresh. So.